Well, welcome back, everyone, to the White Tail Theories podcast. Uh, we were on a little hiatus, or at least I was. Uh, I was on my rutcation, but I'm back, and we are continuing on with the Deer Camp Tour. We have special guest, uh, returning guest, Brian Halchek, on the mic to talk about his Wyoming mule deer hunt. And this is going to be kind of a, a two-part series, right, Brian? Yes, it is. All right, awesome. So, uh, Brian, well, you talk about a you talk about a hiatus. Gosh, I can't remember the last time I hopped on the mic here. Yeah, it's it's been a couple months. It's been been a couple months for sure. Uh, we were doing I some know. educational stuff there before, and we really kind of both went different directions as far as getting into hunting and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I've been I've been pretty much nonstop hunting since uh, since the season started. So haven't really had time, but it's it's definitely good to be back and talking with you. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so this this hunt, uh, kind of to paint the picture and talk about like the background because this hunt kind of has a little history behind it. So you've been doing this with your family for quite a while, right? Oh yeah, since I turned 12 years old. Actually, um, I think I might have said this before, but my first big game animal that I ever killed was an antelope out in Wyoming. Because I turned 12, I didn't get anything that first archery season I went out hunting. And then, you know, there, the rifle season out in Wyoming is, uh, is in October. So obviously before the rifle season here. So I killed a buck antelope before I ever killed a whitetail. Wow. That's pretty cool. Not a lot of people can say that, that are at least from the East coast, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So this was my seventh trip out there, I think with my family. So who all do you go with? And then being that it's your seventh trip, I mean, obviously you're not going every year, uh, you going every other year, kind of, how do you guys set that up? Yeah. Yeah. It depends. It's, it's pretty much what some of us go er, there's there's someone in my family that goes pretty much every year but we kind of flip-flops back and forth on you know who all goes but basically myself my father uh my grand both my grandparents have gone out there uh both my uncle two of my uncles my two cousins actually now my third cousin as well um he's probably been out there just as much as I have and he's He's about to turn 16, actually. Oh, wow. So, um, quite, quite a bit of us go out. And uh, like I said, we don't all go out every year. Some it's, uh, it's been a pretty good family tradition. And, you know, we always do pretty good out there. So it's, a, it's an awesome trip to spend time with everybody. We all live kind of all over the country now. So we all get together and, and hunt together. And it's a really great experience. So do you guys, have you guys been bouncing around Wyoming or have you primarily been hunting relatively the same area and then just been kind of whittling it down and figuring it out over time and you guys got your system pretty much dialed in? Yeah, so it's it's pretty much the same area that we've hunted every year. Um, you know, we, ha- we do expand quite a bit. You know, we, I think each of us have our own like secret spots within our family that you know, we, we tend to go to and hunt more, but, um, I mean, it's a pretty wide range of areas that we've hunted over the years. And, you know, we kind of narrow it down to all of our, you know, our favorite spots particularly, but, you know, 
we all, I mean, we're all hunting, you know, within two, three hours drive time of each other. So, um, it is, it is quite a bit of area that we cover, but, um, we, we switch it up every now and then. Now, do you guys all, you said two to three hours of drive time. I'm assuming you don't have like a base camp where everybody's together then. So yeah, good question. Um, actually we do. So most of the time we actually stay at a hotel. It's like a, like one of those little motels and uh, we get one of the big rooms with that has the kitchen and everything and the place is pretty nice because they have a big uh big setup out in front to hang your deer up when you get one so you could you could process your deer at the hotel um but generally we all stay in the same hotel um each year now sometimes when we venture off i mean we all just leave at different times typically or we might stay you know, some of us might stay out there, um, you know, a little bit longer, but, uh, but typically, yeah, we have one, one main place that we like to stay at now. Now with my cousin, we've been going out, we've been contemplating some more backcountry type stuff out there. Cause there's some areas where we get way farther in where we know there's not going to be a lot of people. Um, the, the areas that we've hunted over the years have gotten a lot more crowded, I would say. Now, this was our first time ever out there, anyone in our family out there archery hunting when we went in September, and there was pretty much nobody hunting in archery season, which was really great. And now we're considering, now we're considering doing that more, but yeah, definitely during rifle season, we've seen a surge of people. Um, and, uh, just to give some perspective on that. So we hunt on the east side of the Bighorn Mountains, and obviously on the west side of the Bighorns. And you know, when you get closer to the Rockies as well, um, the wolf population has really sprung up in those areas and started killing off a lot of the uh, a lot of the game there. So a lot of people who have historically hunted the west side of the Bighorn Mountains are now coming over to the east side of the Bighorns because it's so much harder to hunt over there because of the wolves. Gotcha. And from what I understand too, um, Wyoming's kind of getting an influx of non-resident hunters that are shifting from other states because the mule deer hunting, either the point creep has gone up so high that they don't want to wait multiple years or uh, the hunting has just gone downhill in those other states. Do you potentially see that as as something that's viable as well? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, we used to be able to get tags. I mean, all the, the, all the areas that we hunt are draw-only tags. We used to be able to get tags no problem with no points. Like, we would draw every single time for both mule deer, buck antelope, doe antelope, pretty much whatever you wanted, um, you could draw a tag for and now what we're seeing, this hunt really has turned into like a every other year event for a lot of us because you need at least a point or two to draw mule deer and even antelope tags now. I actually had an antelope point and I didn't even draw an antelope tag this year. I only had a mule deer tag. So yeah, it's definitely getting harder to, uh, to even draw a tag where historically we've always gotten them. Now, let me ask you this. Are you seeing more non-residents 
license plates in the parking lots and stuff like that or at the at the hotels the motels uh the gas stations that kind of stuff yeah i think it's a combination of both um definitely during rifle season you know we've seen it turn into a, a non-resident madhouse um and even when you talk with the locals too but you know we're even seeing a lot of in-state vehicles where you know they live four or five six hours away and they're driving to this area to hunt now because um the areas that they historically hunted have gotten extremely hard yeah i i've basically been hearing that um the western hunting is growing in popularity for one reason or the other you're seeing more people from the east come out west and then you're seeing more people out west take up hunting yeah yeah i mean it is you know with with a lot of the i feel social media focus on western big game hunting i think it's sparked like a you know a, a an fad. Influx, yeah a fad of people trying to find it out what i've also seen too is that a lot of people don't know what they're getting themselves into when they come out and do what a western hunt when you're used to sitting in a tree stand all day mm-hmm. so i would say even you know, even during rifle season when there's a lot of people, it's still not extremely challenging for us to find mule deer and kill mule deer because most of the people that come from out of state literally just drive up and down the oil and gas lease roads or they drive up and down the the public roads and just glass for mule deer right from their vehicles. Mm-hmm. And there's a, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you never, ever see just doing that. And I would say that's the majority of the hunters out there. They're just driving around with binoculars and looking for the mule deer from their vehicles. So, and then, uh, and then you have some people who do get out of their vehicles, but they, you know, they only walk like up to a mile in and they're gassed from, you know, the elevation change or having to go up and down the ravines or whatever it is. And they really don't go much farther than that. So, you know, typically when I go out there, I'll walk a good two to three miles back before I even start hunting. And then, you know, there's deer all over the place. Well, that's a good segue. So why don't you kind of depict what the terrain looks like, uh, where you're, where you're hunting. And then I got a couple more questions. We'll go from there. Yeah, yeah. So this place here, um, it's uh, it's all wide open country. And how I kind of like to explain the terrain is if you if you put your hand on the on a table and like spread your fingers apart, that's kind of how the terrain looks like. So when you're when you're standing on top of one of your fingers, it all looks flat. But when you get to the edge, there's constant up and down up and down really steep ravines um and uh and they always come to a point and then there's like a you know a flatter area like where the palm of your hand would be so that's that's probably the best representation i could give of how the terrain looks it's it looks flat from when you're up top but it's like these extremely steep fingers that you have to climb up and down and the mule deer like to, you know, tuck themselves all the way back in in the fingers and hide in the sage bush. It's, it's, it's pretty hard to find them, and you have to be really sneaky. 
it, you also can't really sit there and, and glass all day because, you know, you're, you can't see, you can't see a, a lot of the areas where the mule deer even hide, even from high spots because it's so steep and, you know, how those fingers are oriented. So those are those like kind of like ditches, like those are like the the ravines or coolies or whatever they call them out there. Yeah, yeah, kind of, but I mean, they could be they could be hundreds of feet up and down. Right, um, that's what I was just going to ask you. How deep are they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it really depends. I mean, some of them are less, some of them are more, and then sometimes you have like these really large ones that have additional fingers inside of them mm -hmm. so um you know there's a you know for how wide open it is there's a lot of really good places these animals can hide now when you're when you're going out let's say let, let's just talk archery hunting because with your trip yeah. you went out um kind of foreshadowing here you went out both seasons so yeah when you're when you're archery hunting out there <clears throat> how do you go about hunting those those fingers and stuff where the i'm assuming you're trying to catch deer bedded yeah yeah that's that's really what you're trying to do it's almost pointless trying to um you know get them when they're when they're up and feeding like early in the morning it's good to find them then because it's easier to find them when they're walking around like right at first light and then you could go watch them bed but uh but basically my strategy and and also, too, this was the first time I ever archery hunted out there. You know, we've never done it before. We've always hunted rifle season. Um, so it was it was a new experience for, for both my cousin and myself. So um, the first time we went out, it was just me and my cousin. And then the second time we went out, it was me, two of my cousins, and my uncle. But, uh, but anyways, um, basically my strategy was I knew that I couldn't sit somewhere and try and glass one up so i basically you know went two-thirds the way up um the fingers on the um south side because the the deer are always going to be bedded on the north facing slope typically also also considering the wind on which way i went up the fingers so i would be on the the south the south facing slope of one of the fingers right and i would go two-thirds the way up and i would walk that finger all the way like if you if you have your hand out there starting at your fingernail and walking the finger all the way back to the palm of your hand um and you know inside there there's there's additional fingers you know facing you know a 90 degree angle okay so basically what I would do, I'd walk slowly up that finger and just glass the even smaller fingers and look like behind the sage bush, walk real slow. And, you know, as soon as I could peek over one of the other sides, I'd start glassing and just look for the deer bedded down. And once I would find one, um, you know, another thing too, we could get into this too, but you're not allowed to hunt does on public land in Wyoming. So you're always going to see like 10 million does wherever you are. So when, when you're going to put a stock on a buck, you have to sit there for probably an extra half hour and find all the bedded does so that you can 
kind of go around them so you don't jump those and eventually jump the buck. So I would I would search up and down these little fingers as I walk along the big finger and uh, until I found a buck and then I would sit there, I would find anything else that could be in the area and come up with like a little strategy on how I was going to, you know, stock up to it. And, and really my strategy was is to, you know, identify the finger that the buck was in and then I would walk down the ravine to the bottom and then I would walk up the finger next to the one that the buck was bedded in and then walk up over that finger. And as soon as I would crest over that other finger, I should be within shooting range of the bedded buck, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it does. Now, I want to rewind here a little bit. You said uh, that you don't really hunt deer when they're out feeding. Can you kind of elaborate on that for maybe the people well, that don't know as to why well, you don't do that? Yeah, yeah. So, not I wouldn't say I'm not hunting. Um, I'm definitely out there trying to find them when they're out feeding. But when they're out feeding, they're in a more open area. So it's almost impossible to put a stock on them when they're out feeding because usually they're in groups when they're out feeding, especially I saw that during archery season, even the bucks were all together. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm out there looking for them, but I'm not going to try and put a stock on them while they're feeding. If I find them while they're feeding, I'm going to sit there and wait for them to go bed and, and then put my stock on them. Right, right. Yeah, that's pretty much what I wanted you to talk on. It, it, a lot of it, as far as spot and stalk goes, a lot of success depends upon the terrain that you have between you and the animal. Right, right. And these these plains animal, if you will, which, I mean, you can say they are or they aren't, but in areas where it's relatively flat, they live and die by their eyesight, so uh, they can pick you up pretty quickly in that flat yeah. terrain. Yeah, yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about antelope hunting a little bit because my cousin did have an antelope tag and uh, he had a couple really cool experiences um, decoy hunting with the bow on, on the antelope. Awesome. So we could, talk, we could talk about that a little bit too. All right. Well, let's, let's finish up your, uh, your archery kind of session here. So as you're walking through these, uh, these fingers and stuff and, and you're picking over the, the top of them, um, how, how was that different as far as how you traditionally rifle hunted them? And then what were it, some of the trials and tribulations that you ran into? Yeah. Yeah. Really good question. Um, it's actually not all that different than when I'm rifle hunting, but the, the key difference is when, when I'm rifle hunting and I see the buck bedded, I can just shoot it, right? Unless it's like an extremely long distance. But uh, but the the hunting the the way I hunted in archery season was actually really similar to the way I hunted during rifle, and it's really just because how the terrain is laid out and and just your ability to see far. You know, you can't really, you can't really just sit and glass in these places because you just can't see far. You're going to waste a lot of time. So, you know, it's, it's a lot easier just to walk all day and try and find them that way. And that's, 
basically what I did for, for archery and rifle. But, you know, the difference with rifle is that when I see it, I could shoot it basically. Whereas archery, I had to, you know, get, get close. Um, and I would say the biggest challenge and one of the main reasons I wasn't successful on two, well, it was the reason I wasn't successful on one of the stocks was picking out all the other does that are bedded all around. So one of the stocks that I put on, it would have been like a 300 yard stock, but it turned into a, a mile and a half long stock because I had to bypass a bunch of does that I saw bedded. And I didn't want to jump those does because they would have ran right through the bucks where the buck was bedded and it would have took off as well. So that's probably one of the biggest challenges that, that I really faced. Um, and, you know, when we get into it too, is I actually got, I actually got real sick on the second day of the hunt and kind of ruined the rest of the trip for me during archery season. But, uh, it was a, it was an interesting experience for sure. So, are you finding these deer bedding in the exact same or at least relatively similar habitat from archery season to rifle season? And then how much of a difference in time span as far as seasonality are the two? Yeah, so, yeah, typically it's it's the same type of places where they bed. Just, what I found, though, is during rifle season, they're just way farther back into the public lands than they are during archery season. Um, definitely less spook during archery season. I mean, there were, there were deer that, you know, I walked past in archery season, they were, they were does granted, um, and they're less sketched out than bucks in general, but I walked past a couple bedded does. They never even got up. <laughs> uh, you know, that would, that would never happen during rifle season. Um, but, uh, yeah, generally it's the same stuff that I'm looking for in archery and rifle of where they're where they're hanging out yet at, but in rifle season they're definitely deeper into the stuff than they than they were in archery. Now, as far as recommending, um, and I, this is one of the things that I think we should really touch on too is let's talk about your setup here a little bit. What? Yeah what for archery season what are you thinking is going to be unless you're a sneaky ninja what is going to be your average shot distance i would say you should you should be able to get within 40 yards of an animal um in the areas that i'm hunting if you play it right um i would definitely be prepared to take a 60 yard shot and be comfortable enough to maybe make like a follow-up 80-yard shot. But um, I'd say 40 yards is probably, you know, and, and like I said, this is my first time archery hunting. Um, but I feel pretty confident that I'd be able to get within 40 yards of anything I was trying to shoot. Okay. How much, uh, how bad was the wind since you're in like kind of that like, flattish terrain out there yeah that's that's really good point um 
So when I was there, we didn't really have much of a wind problem, but it was something I was really concerned about. Um, the winds, I, you know, I've been there where the winds have been, you know, 40 miles an hour, 30 miles an hour constantly. And, you know, it's definitely going to affect your ability to shoot during archery season. We were fortunate enough. I mean, it was the, the weather was miserable, but just because it was like 95 degrees every day during the day. But the, the wind was actually pretty calm for the most part when we were hunting. So it was something I was worried about and I was prepared to deal with. Um, you know, say, say you're comfortable at 60 yards. You might be only comfortable at 30 yards when it's, when the wind is like that. But, um, but yeah, yeah, we were fortunate enough not to have too many problems with the wind when we were out there, but it's something that I was worried about um, if it came. Yeah, and I think that's one of the most overlooked things coming from the east is how nasty that wind can be. But Oh, yeah, it's bad. I mean, even even with the rifle, I mean, you could it could screw you up. It could screw you up with like a 200-yard shot. Sometimes mm -hmm. that wind is so bad, even with the rifle, so... Just imagine how it's going to affect your arrow. Right. If it's a windy day, if it's a windy day, you might as well cut your shooting range in half. But the flip side of that is you can get a lot closer to the animals. True, true. If you play your cards right. Yeah, if you if you plan your stalks out correctly and you, and you use your noggin. Yeah. So yep. so give sure. me the give me the low give me the low on how the hunt went down. Uh, what did you see? How, yeah. Tell me how your stocks went down. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I was actually really looking forward to archery season. Um, I flew out there, met my cousin in Denver. He picked me up and uh, we drove We drove overnight up into the area that we hunt in Wyoming. And uh, we didn't even, we didn't even sleep that night. We just got there and we're like, all right, I'm curious to see how many people are out there so we kind of we kind of drove up there right at light and we just started driving around and checking out our areas and uh there we were seeing deer all over the place i mean there was a, there were i almost shot one on the on that morning we drove up to the one spot got into the public lands there and uh we're sitting there and we're looking at uh you know it was it was good like maybe eight, 900 yards out in front of us, there was a, there's a little piece of private and they have one of those cow troughs there. And we're looking there like, what the heck is that? That thing is huge. I put my binoculars up to it. It was an elk. And then I look, there's two elk there. Two bull elk are, are standing there. We've, our family's been hunting here for like 30 years now. We've never seen elk in this area. Um, but the drought, I guess, has been so bad out in Wyoming that the, the elk were actually moving away from some of the areas that the rivers and streams dried up and were hanging out by all the cow troughs to get water. You sent, so, me, you sent me pictures of that, right? Yeah, yeah. Th those did. were nice elk, too. Yeah, yeah. There was, there was one real nice six-point, and then the other one was like a five-by-four or something. Mm -hmm. But... uh. But yeah, they were, they're good bulls. So that, like, we're sitting there, holy crap, that's crazy. All of a sudden, I, I look out the window, and there's two buck mule deer standing right by the 
right by the road on the public land. Like, holy crap. But by, by the time I got out of the truck and tried to sneak up to him, they, they bounced off. Um, but, you know, after that, we're like, holy crap, this is going to be a good week of hunting. Um, and uh, so we kind of turned around. We went back to our – we actually camped um, camp during archery season. So we turned around. We went to our campsite, set all our stuff up and everything, and took a nap because we were both dead tired. Um, went back out in the evening to one of our other spots. There's a, there's a really good glassing spot that I like to go where a bunch of deer all, always come out. So we went out there. I glassed the one side, my cousin glassed the other side. And, um, you know, we, we saw a bunch of does, we saw a couple antelope, we didn't see any bucks. So, you know, all right, that's okay. And we, uh, we went back and slept that night. Next morning I wake up and we, we kind of planned out where we wanted to go. I went to my, my favorite spot first thing. And, uh, I dropped my cousin off at his spot and took his truck up to my spot and parked. My spot was probably an hour away from where we were camping. And, uh, you know, I get out there and I start walking and, uh, I walk up the, I walk, I start walking up the first finger. I bounced out a couple does, which I wasn't too happy about. I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm getting pretty rusty. I'm pretty, pretty rusty here in 10, <laughs> two years. I guess I better, better slow myself down and, and start glassing better. And, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't eight o'clock and I, I spotted this buck. It was still in velvet, nothing huge, but I'm like, Oh, this is, this is great. I've never, I've never killed a velvet buck before. And I'm not picky at all, as you know, mm-hmm. and it's with, the, and it's with the bow. And I'm like, I'm not passing up anything with the bow. Cause I, this is my first time hunting with the bow. I just want to, get the experience stalking them and, and figuring out how I'm supposed to do this. So, like I said, I did, I did exactly what I, what my plan was. I, I found the buck. He was, he was bedded down there. I started glassing up the other fingers. I found like three other does bedded down. So I got on, I got on Onyx on my phone and I marked where the buck was and I marked where the three doe were. And I just came up with a little game plan to get up, on that next finger over. So when I crest over that finger, uh, the buck is going to be right there. So I do that. It took me about, about an hour to put the stock on. And, uh, I cross, I cross over the top of the finger and there's a big giant sage bush right at the edge of the finger. I'm like, Oh, this is great. And it's, it's basically, a cliff straight down and this buck was bedded like at the bottom of the bottom of the ravine, like right up against the cliff. So I'm like, okay. So, and and man, it couldn't have worked out better because I snuck up behind this sage bush and I peeked my head over and there he was standing there. It was like 30 yards Mm -hmm. and uh, he was standing up. And he was looking off, off to the right, and he's he's standing there, little bit quartering away, but pretty much broadhead broadside. And I'm like, what is that deer staring at? And I look up, and it was a good two miles away. There was an oil and gas truck that just parked 
um, way, way out there up top um, of one of the ravines, checking out a well pad that was over there. And I'm like, okay, this deer is staring at this truck that's two miles away, kind of fixated on it. I got this. Like, this is this is going to be so great. And where, where I went wrong, well, what happened was, is I'm behind this big sage bush, and I'm like kind of on my tippy toes, and I pulled back 30 yards, and I shot, and the arrow hit one of the branches on the sage bush that oh. I was standing behind, mm-hmm. and veered the arrow off. I shot the deer right in the ass, and uh, I, I felt like shit, and... You know, looking back, I mean, that deer, like knowing what I knew, I could I could have easily stepped to the side of the sagebush and had a had a clear shot at the buck. But, you know, it is it is what it is. I I spent the rest the rest of the morning, probably till one o'clock trailing the deer um, and uh, it went off into into private land. I trailed it for a good mile. I mean, there was barely any blood, so I, I hit it in the back of the ass. Didn't didn't hit that artery that's back there or anything. So, if that deer didn't get shot by someone else, I'm pretty sure it's still alive. Right. But that that was that was pretty sucky. I felt like shit after that, and I I sat there and moped like you do for probably an hour before I got up to keep going for the evening. Um. But yeah, yeah, that was rough. And while that was going on, my cousin, he had a mule deer and an antelope tag. And he uh, he wanted to, he really wanted to try it. He bought a decoy, one of those antelope decoys. He was so excited to try that thing out. And, uh, you know, after I, after I hit that deer and couldn't find it, I called him and told him what happened. And he's like, well, you're not going to believe this. Um first thing in the morning he went out and uh he spotted he spotted two buck antelopes and a bunch of doe antelope out in this one field so he uh he walked up over this little hill and at the top of the hill he just set up that decoy well apparently that the the buck came running right into the decoy like pissed off that, that this this wow. buck and you gotta you gotta understand too, the antelope are rutting at this time. So antelope rut during September, during the archery season. Unlike mule deer, who they don't they don't start rut until like end of November. Um but but yeah, yeah, this antelope starts running in and you know, he's kinda hiding behind this decoy and uh he looked up over and and the buck disappeared. He's like, What the heck happened to it? Well, basically what this, this antelope did is it, it got to probably, I don't know, 40 yards from him and he was going to peek his head over to try and shoot it. Well, it turned to the right and started, started coming off to his right and he didn't see it. And these, these decoys, I don't know, they're like, they're made of like cardboard basically. So (laughs) just picture a cardboard picture, a life, life life-size cardboard picture of an antelope. It's not like a real you know, it's not like you're, it's not 3d, you know, it's not 3d. Right. So he looks over to the right and there's this buck antelope standing 10 yards 
away from him to the right, just like looking all confused because like, what, like what the heck happened? And, uh, as soon as he moved to try and, uh, you know, pull his bow back, it, it ran. And, uh, he told me that, uh, it, it ran back in front of him and stopped and he guessed, I mean, he had no time. So he guessed the yardage, he guessed 40, guessed 40 yards. And he said he shot right below it, pretty much almost probably grazed the the bottom of the deer, uh, the antelope. So it was probably like between 45 and 50 yards. So he was off by like five, 10 yards and missed it. Jeez. Yeah. So we had a, we both had a, had a pretty rough, but exciting first day. And, uh, you know, we came back in the evening I'm like, all right, this this isn't going to be as tough as, you know, we were expecting it to be. Um, it, it was pretty hot, but uh, the next day I wake up and I just feel like awful. I don't know what it was, but like it, it didn't get bad that second day, but it kind of started that second day. And I was like, I'm getting sick. And uh I woke, it's like, you know, one of those things you get a fever, you wake up and you're like just sweaty in your sleeping bag. Like mm-hmm. uh, it, was, it was terrible. And then you get out of the sleeping bag, you got the chills and, you know, your muscles got, get sore. So, you know, I'm, I'm walking out there the second day and, uh, I get like a mile back and like all my muscles are sore. And at this point, I didn't think I was like sick yet. So I'm like, my God, I can, I can't be this out of shape. Like I, I had one day of hunting. I can't, I can't be, I can't be this out of shape. Um, but man, was I sore. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I kind of took it easy the second day. I'm like, well, maybe I'm just out of shape. I got to slow it down. I mean, I'm going to hunt as hard as I can, but, but geez, this is pretty bad. And, uh, I hunted, I hunted the whole morning and then went back to the truck, picked my cousin up. We kind of went back to the campsite for lunch and, you know, I was just getting worse and worse. And afternoon, I went, I, afternoon, I went back to, to my one glassing spot. Cause it's only probably a half a mile walk to the, to the peak where it's actually a pretty good glassing spot. You could see a lot of stuff. And really, I just wanted to, you know, find a find a buck that came out to feed for the evening and then you know maybe go back there and try and find it in the morning but again all i saw were does that evening at that glassing spot and uh so nothing really nothing really happened that next day and the the day after that i woke up and i was sick like sick like I couldn't, I didn't want to move my, I didn't want to move any part of my body. My muscles were aching. Um, and, uh, like I, like I was having breathing problems, not, not so much like I couldn't breathe, but like it, it was, it was really weird. It was like I was breathing, but I felt like my body wasn't using the oxygen. You weren't getting the full amount of oxygen that you were breathing in. Yeah. 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 So I'm like, this is bad. And you know that, and, uh, but sure enough, 
I freaking go out to that same classic spot again because I'm like, I can't do much. I'm going to walk to this classic spot and I'm just going to sit there all day. At least it's doing something. You know, it gets warm enough during the day. Like I could, I could sleep during the day or something, but at least I'll be out there. Sure enough, I get there and I glass up this really nice four by four mule deer. And uh, I'm like, oh my God, it, it's, it was probably a solid two miles from from where I was sitting just to just to get up to a point where I could think about stock putting a stock on Jeez. so the the evening before I bought a bunch of day full so I'm like screw it I I slugged down some day full I'm like we're gonna try and make this happen so I walked I walked two and a half miles all the way out and, and it's all it's it's up and down and then up again. And then I sit down and I, I respotted the mule deer. I'm like, okay, here we go. And, uh, I'm stalking up to it and I bounce a freaking doe and it goes right over the hill, right, right to where that buck was bed. I'm like, Oh God, no, please. So I'm like, well, I got to check. Cause I didn't see, I saw the doe come back up over the other side and I didn't see the buck. I'm like, okay, maybe he didn't get freaked out. He's just like, there's a, there's a dumb doe doing something here. Right. So when I crest over, I was cresting over and he was, he was originally bedded on the side that I was cresting over. But I guess because that doe came over, he kind of switched sides and bedded mm. down on the other side of the finger. So when I poked my head over the ravine, he was staring right at me. Jeez. And the, the second he saw me, he, he bounced off. Let me, let and me that, ask you something here real quick. Um, yeah. So when you are out there and you spot a buck up in a bedding location and, and you're going to make a play on him, what mm-hmm. are you doing to, like, what are you doing in your in your spotting or your stalking like regiment to kind of make sure that you keep eyes on them? Because I I had a conversation the other week about this, and I think one of the things that I don't do very well and I need to do a better job of is trying to make sure that I'm keeping eyes on that animal so that when mm-hmm. I'm like getting into like game time that. I'm in the proper position where like things like that don't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. I think, you know, I, I don't like to be able to see the animal anytime I'm moving. That's how I am too. So I really focus on finding definitive landmarks where I know he is. And it's, it's a, it's particularly harder in open country because there's, everything looks the same but every now and then there's a there's a rock that kind of stands out or you know i'll even count the fingers from the start of the ravine i'll count the fingers and he's like okay he's in finger number seven and i'll just make sure that i'm keeping count of those fingers and making sure i i remember he's in finger number seven another thing i another thing i do like i did that first time i did it this time too when I'm when I find him, I open up my map and I mark where he is on the map, and then 
you know, same thing when I'm looking for does that I need to avoid. I mark all those does. And then I look on the map and kind of create a little route of how I want to get there. And, you know, then I, then I, you know, I'm usually in a higher spot then. And I kind of look at the terrain and match it up with the map and saying, okay, I need to go down that hill, you know, probably a hundred yards to my left. There's a tree there. I need to hit that tree, go up that finger and then follow that ridge till I hit finger number seven and then drop down into it. So that's, that's kind of how I play it out there when it's, when it's open country. I do rely a lot on the imagery maps and stuff um, when I'm out there and the, and the GPS more so than other places, just because it's particularly harder to find those landmarks um, where, where I hunt. Now out of, let's say out of every 10 stalks, how often are you having the deer move from their original bed that you spotted them in? Um, so I put on four legitimate stocks and the only one that moved was the one I just told you about Not where four he, he, yeah, where he switched sides. Gotcha. But pretty much all, all the other three stocks that I put on, they were all in the same exact spot as when I got them the first time. And you gotta, you gotta think too, you know, it's not taking me, you know, five hours to put a stock on like it does in some areas where, uh, you, you mule, you mule deer hunt. Yeah. These are like, you know, two hour long stocks at the most. So worst case scenario, um, like the, the, the buck that I hit, he, uh, he wasn't in his bed. He got up and I think he was feeding a little bit, but he wasn't, he wasn't 10 yards from where I spotted him the first time. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so, um, this is a good lesson learned for everybody. Um, post stocking on this four by four that got away and being sick and being really stupid on my part, being sick and, and still attempting this. By the time that was all said and done, it was around 10 in the morning. And by that time it was like at least 85 degrees approaching 90. It was, like I said, it was really hot every day when we were out there, not a cloud in the sky. So being sick, probably dehydrated, and having to walk a good three miles back to the truck was one of the worst situations I probably ever put myself in out in the field, and it was a really dumb decision. But um, it, it, it got to the point where I got pretty lucky. I, I would have made it back, but when I – about a mile left, there was an oil and gas guy driving down the road, and he actually picked me up and drove me back to the truck. That's how horrible I was feeling Jeez. Um, from that experience. What's reception like out there? Uh, no no reception. I did have my satellite phone. So if worse came to worse, you know, I had, I had something. But, but you could have uh, pushed it to where the point where you passed out. Oh yeah, Eas oh easily. 
easily could have done that. Um, you know, but man, that was that was something really stupid that I did. And I, I do regret um, you know, trying to push through and uh and and put a stock on that mule deer feeling the way I was feeling. And actually it turns out um my cousin got it um the next day but he he uh he his symptoms didn't kick in as bad as mine did until after the trip was over mm. and uh you know it turns out it was it was the coronavirus that we have mm-hmm. so um but yeah it was it was a really stupid decision um that day but uh so I got back to the truck. I went back to the campsite and just slept the rest of the day and uh, the the whole next night. So I didn't even do anything that evening. The next day I woke up in the morning. I was feeling a little bit better, but I'm like, you know, I just need to get myself actually better so I could actually make something of this hunt um, for maybe the last day. So the... The next morning, my cousin went out by himself. Um, he put a stock on a four by four and a three by three mule deer that day, but he was never able to make the make the shot on it. Um, the four by four, I think he got into like seventy yards, but he he wasn't comfortable shooting that far, and uh, there was no way he could get closer. So he kind of sat there for a while trying to figure out what to do. And that deer ended ended up getting up and walking into this big bowl and made it impossible to put a stock on it. And then uh, the three by three, similar thing happened with him. He, he found it bedded down and he walked up to it and it switched sides on him and it was staring right at him when he walked up on it and bounced off. Um, and then the, that evening I went back out, I was feeling good at that point. Um, and, uh, what did I do that evening? I, I just went, I went back to that same glassing spot, tried maybe find that four by four again. Um, never saw anything. And then the last day I was feeling good again. So I went out the whole day and I found a different four by four in the same area where I shot that first buck. Um, that I didn't get and I put a stock on him and I got to, I got to the ravine. I got to the finger next to the finger that he was in. And there was a doe bedded way back in the finger that I never saw. Cause I, I couldn't, I, I was never able to see all the way back at that finger until I got up to it. Well, that doe, jumped up and jumped right into the finger that the buck was bedded in. And I watched both of them bounce off <laughs> and, uh, so never got him, but, uh, but that was, that was pretty much it. So for, for archery season, when you, when you're putting these stocks on and, mm-hmm. and they end up being a failed attempt and you, and you blow the deer out, whether you're blowing a doe out into the next ravine and she's blowing the buck out or, or you're blowing the buck out. How often are these bucks returning back into 
the sim like the re the relatively same location and then if they are are you kind of like like if they are or if they're not what's your plan to potentially try to get on the same buck then like wh what are you doing after a blowout i guess i should say yeah yeah good question i pretty much call that whole ravine and these ravines are like a mile long and they have the fingers coming out. So I just pretty much call that whole ravine shot. Um, typically what I've seen is that if you bounce a buck and depending on how bad you bounce it, like, you know, if you, if you shoot at it with a rifle, it's going to take off and it might not come back for a few days. But what I found is that usually within a day or two, he may not be bedded in the same exact spot, but he's going to be hanging back out in that same same ravine, typically. So I've seen the same buck multiple times in the, in the same ravine, but not usually ever in the same finger or the same um, same bedding spot. Gotcha. Okay. That's kind of what I thought. I figured that they would potentially come back to the same betting locations because they figured it was safe and it was a, yeah. a successful betting location. It was just yeah. a matter of time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I, you know, during rifle season, though, you're, you're not going to see that buck again, probably. If you're, if you're out there for like a five or seven day hunt, you won't see that buck again in rifle season if you found it. Right. So how did uh how did rifle season go? Yeah, yeah. So that archery season was a was a failed attempt, but me and my cousin both got fully recovered, good to go again. And uh, my uncle and his son, my other little cousin, they were going out for rifle season. Um, my little cousin had a buck mule deer tag and a buck antelope tag. My uncle had a buck mule deer tag. And then my cousin Cody, who I went archery season with, he had the mule deer and antelope tag and I had the mule deer tag. So my, uh, my moose hunt that I was supposed to go on in Canada got postponed again. So I had an extra seven days to burn of time off of work. So I'm like, I got this meal deer tag. I might as well go back out there with the rifle and try and get one. So um, my uncle and little cousin were already out there in Colorado with, because my uncle got a meal deer tag in Colorado. So he was already out there with my two cousins. So they all just drove up to Wyoming and um, I flew out there. I think it was, it was a day after they got there. Well, the day before I get there, my phone started blowing up. All three of them shot mule deer bucks on the day they showed up there. Wow. My cousin, my, my cousin shot a really big three by three. Um, my other cousin shot, I think it was a, it was an even bigger three by three. And then my uncle shot a five by four. Wow. And I'm like, holy crap, this is awesome. So the next day I fly out there and I, I got there around, it was like four o'clock. My uncle picked me up from the airport 
And I'm like, just drive me to a spot. I'll just glass for the evening. And he's like, okay. So I, I went out there. I glassed this one spot. I didn't really see anything. And, and that was the end of that. And uh, they didn't they didn't even hunt that day because they were too busy cutting up all the mule deer and everything. So um, the next morning, the first, the morning I go out, I was the only one that went out. So I took my uncle's truck, went to the same spot that I, I glassed that evening. And it wasn't, it wasn't eight o'clock yet. And I spot these mule deer, probably a good 1500 yards out. And uh, I looked on the maps and they're, they're standing in this field on private land. And I could see the fence of where it goes from private to public and and it was 900 yards where the fence was so i'm like okay i'll just uh i'll sit here and you know glass some of the other areas and just keep an eye on these things and so i'm i'm messing around looking at other areas and i look back over and i don't see anything where the heck did they go and i'm looking and a good 10 minutes goes by i don't see anything oh they must have left all of a sudden, I look over again, and there they are. There's two bucks and three does just standing by the fence on the on the private side. I'm like, holy crap. Well, there's this little dip back there that they were down in that little dip. I couldn't see them. Mm. They crossed up over that dip, and there they were at the fence. And uh, the does start following the fence line up into um up into one of the other ravines and uh i'm like okay well this is this is uh, a pointless cause because these bucks are probably just going to hang out with the does so i started looking at another spot and i look back over again well i watched the two bucks jump over the fence they left the three does the does kept following the fence on the private side i watched the two bucks jump over onto the public and uh they're sitting there fighting each other. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And uh, I'm like, holy crap. And uh, I, I know you know that I'm into the long range shooting and everything. And I've mm-hmm. shot animals that far. And I'm like, yeah, I could do a 900 yard shot. That's no problem. But I, I don't know if I said it on the podcast yet, but um, I, I started giving myself a, a 600 yard maximum for hunting. Um, just cause I like stocking in on them and I, I do like getting close on them, which was, it, it definitely being there during archery season definitely, you know, made me realize how fun that is. But, uh, I gave myself a 600 yard limit and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to hold true to that. And, uh, let's just see what happens here. So they, these bucks stop fighting and, uh, kind of, kind of the layout, the, the train here too, it, it's not the same terrain that I, that I was previously describing. This was a different spot, but basically just picture a big giant bowl and I'm sitting at the, at the top of the bowl, looking down into the bowl Mm -hmm. and these mule deer are, are down in the, down in the bowl. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sitting there and, uh, they start walking towards me. 
directly at me. And I'm sitting there with the range finder. I'm like, okay, 840. Oh, 780, 760, 680. I'm like, oh, they're they're gonna come within 600 yards. I'm like, this is great. And then I'm sitting there in the back of my head. I'm like, all right. The second one of them turns to just walk off, because it's it's kind of it's it's private land to to the left of me and in front of me, but everything inside 900 yards and all to the right is all public. So I'm like, the second these things turn to the left, start walking towards the private again, I'm gonna I'm gonna take one. Mm-hmm. And uh, they never did. They just kept walking closer and closer. They finally got to 600 yards. I'm like, I'm, I am not patient enough. Like I, they probably would have walked to like, you know, a couple hundred yards of me, but I'm, you know me, I'm not patient. Yeah, I sure do. <laughs> so, so, um, and I didn't, I didn't have my spotting scope cause I forgot it. Cause I, I was also flying too. And I want to keep all my stuff under 50 pounds. So I'm like, I don't need spotting scope. So I'm looking at the binoculars. I'm like, which one is bigger? And luckily I had my, I had my big gun and I have a 30 power scope on it. So I looked through the scope and I'm like, okay, there's a, okay. One's a, one's a small three by three. And here's a, here's a good four by four. Okay. I'm, this is a nice four by four. I'm going to take it. So it got to 600 yards and it was exactly 600 when I shot too. It, it turned, it, it turned broadside and I shoot and uh, just to perspective, I had my 300 ultra mag out there because I wanted the first thing I killed with it be the moose up in Canada. So I didn't kill anything with it yet. And the moose hunt got canceled. I'm like, you know what, screw it. I'm taking the ultra mag. I know it's way overkill for what I'm doing, but I need to get, I need to get a kill under its belt. So, um, I shoot the gun and you know, the, you know, 300 ultra mag has a massive kick to it and I shoot and, uh, you know, the kick goes up and, uh, I look back through the scope and right when I shot, I saw a deer run to the left. So I shot, I saw a deer run to the left and then the scope came back down. Now I'm looking and I don't see anything except for one deer just standing there looking at, looking in my direction. And I looked through the scope. I'm like, okay, it's that small three by three, but I saw a deer run to the left. And I'm like, so did the Buckeye shoot run to the left and that three by three just do nothing? So I'm like, okay, now, now I'm confused. So I'm, I'm sitting there probably like I'm glassing hard through my scope for probably 10 minutes trying to find something down and I couldn't see anything. I'm like, what the heck? I could not have missed this deer. And, you know, 600 yards sounds far, but, you know, I shoot 600 yards all the time. And I, you know, it's, it's like for me shooting 200 yards now, just for all the long range practice. I'm like, there's no way I missed this deer. And this, this three by three still standing there. And I'm like, I know a deer ran off the left. And so I start watching the three by three. And he's acting really funny. He's like, 
he's like staring he's like you know moving his head weird and mm-hmm. kind of like walking up and then turn around and then walking back and i'm like okay i had to have dropped this buck and this three by three is just like what the heck is going on so kind of what i what i figured happened is when i shot the buck the buck i shot dropped and that three by three is what i saw running to the left and then it just kind of like turned around and started looking at the buck I shot. Like, what the heck you doing? Oh, gotcha. Yeah. That's what I figured happened when I saw that stuff. So I'm like, okay, this three point is acting really weird. That buck's got to be laying there dead. So I'm like, okay. So I get up. I walked I walked up to this three by three. And it was like 200 yards before it actually took off. And uh, I walked up and... There, there he was laying there, dropped right in his tracks. I mean, I, I double lunged him and pretty much everything, and uh, he he dropped right in his tracks. And I was just, I was stoked. I'm like, after that, after that rough archery hunt I just had, it it felt good to get one. But mm-hmm. we were all tagged out on pretty much the first day of the hunt. That's wild. Has that ever yeah. happened before? No, no, that, so there's been, there's been times where we've all tagged out, but it's never been on our first day of the hunt. So, um, but it was, it was really great. So pack the, pack the buck out. It was only, I was only back probably two miles. So it was two mile pack out. Um, and, uh, we just, we just went around and, prairie dog hunted the rest of the time we found a bunch of prairie dogs towns i don't know how many of how many of our listeners ever prairie dog hunt but it's like uh it's like adult whack-a-mole it's <laughs> it's so it's so much fun i took the took the 17 out there um and my my little cousin had a 223 and uh we we sat out in these prairie dog towns blasting prairie dogs i think the one day we got like 30 some prairie dogs it was it was awesome wow yeah yeah so we so we did that hung out um you know we we actually were able to cut up all the meat and package it and put it in the freezers that we had before we even left so basically when i got back i just threw all the meat in the freezer and all i had to do was grind the grind the uh ground meat that i wanted so and and we ended up leaving two days early, so um, it was a it was a really great really great hunt, really good time with family, and yeah, we've we've never been successful that quick. That's pretty cool. I want to ask you a little bit about this. So like having that kind of experience where like you guys tug out so quickly. Uh huh. Did you kind of like did you kind of like notice that you took things from for granted? in the past where because you were so focused on the hunt that like hanging out with your uncles and your cousins and cutting up deer meat and shooting prairie dogs and all that stuff like having that actual like camp atmosphere did you like pick up on that more because the pressure was off so quickly yeah yeah i think so um you know i mean one thing that was always good is like i said we always stayed in the same hotel so Um, and another thing too, is we've, we've always driven out there. We've, we've never, 
like I was the first one that started flying out there just because, you know, my cousin's already out there now and, or my uncle was already out there and he picked me up. But so we always drove out there and we would take two days to drive out there and we'd hit all the cool landmarks when we were driving out there, like the Badlands, Mount Rushmore, Crazy Horse, Devil's Tower, and, you know, all, all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, we did get that time, you know, going out there and coming back. Um, but yeah, definitely like it's, it was the first time where, you know, just being there, we hung out so much, like typically, like you said, we would get up, we would hunt all day long. You know, if one of us got one, we might, you know, if we were close by, we'd go and help pack it out or something. But, uh, you know, for the most part, it was, it was solely focused on hunting except for that. But, you know, we, we did get that other stuff in there the, the previous years, just cause we spent a lot of time in the, in the truck driving and stuff. Okay. Gotcha. That's good. Yeah. yeah. I, I've been in situations where you get so fixated on hunting that you miss all the other aspects that you enjoy about hunting. And right. it's, it's nice to take a step back or you, you tag out early and you have that right. kind of like breath of fresh air, like really soak everything in. Oh yeah. No. And I mean, I'm the same way. I mean, you know, me, like, you mm-hmm. know, when, when I, especially out backcountry hunting or something, when I'm out there, I have one goal and nothing, <laughs> nothing's really going to stop me from achieving that. So I'm, I'm up, I get ready and I'm gone all day. When I get back, I eat something quick and I want to pass out. So I'm ready for the next day. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much the same way. I I get that super soul focus on, um, on trying to, trying to achieve my goal. So yeah, yeah, it's it's something that it's something I, it definitely happens to me when I'm actually out there hunting. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, it was, it was nice to have that, have that experience this year and have those couple of days where we're just hanging out, processing meat, going out prairie dog hunting, you know, screwing around and stuff. It, it was good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Brian, we're working on an hour here. Um, do you, for kind of like the wrap up, do you want to, kind of just give some tips and pointers and uh recommendations for anybody that's considering hunting like eastern wyoming or making a wanting to make a trip out there uh any any tips tricks pointers that kind of thing yeah i think the personally i think the biggest inhibitor is like the i don't know you just got to go out and do it you got to take the chance i think so many people are just worried about going out there and and being successful and you know you know a lot of the mentality i see is like they like people expect to go out there and do all this you know research without being there and and you know getting something or they're they're too afraid to take that leap because they don't know if they're going to get something or not um you know the only way you get to the point where you're like us and are able to kill stuff every time you go out there is by actually going out there and experiencing it. You know, there's times where we all don't get something. Um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to always fill a tag out there, but, um, you know, every time I go out there, I learn something new and, and get a, 
get an advantage that I haven't had the last time I went there. And, you know, every time I've gone out there, the buck that I've killed, they, they get, I've killed bigger and bigger bucks every time I got out there. So really just, just taking the leap and going out there and getting the experience, even if you don't get something, you're going to learn so much more by going out there and trying than all of the YouTube videos, podcasts, research that you could do at home. It's, it's not, it's almost not comparable. Like you could, you could get all the tips and tricks that you want, but until you actually go out there and experience it, you're, you're not going to understand what we're talking about in these podcasts or in the YouTube videos or, or in the TV shows or anything like that. So once you go out there that first time, then the research that you're doing and, and the stuff that I talk about and others talk about will start to make sense. So I would just say, take that leap, take the chance, pull the trigger, go out there, go out there and do it. Cause that's the only way you're going to get the, the experience to actually get better and actually start being successful. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with that. You got to get boots on the ground and yeah, until you do that, you're not going to make that next step. So yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and, you know, typical things that, that I, that I talk about that you should know before you go out there is you should be in some kind of decent shape. Just know that every, every day I put at least 10, anywhere from 10 to 20 miles on a day. So you don't have to be like, super bodybuilder or anything like that you just gotta be have the ability to walk long distances and and walk up and down hills and be able to pack an animal out as far back as you go in but uh so you want to be in decent shape um you want to know at least the basics of first aid and survival skills most of these places don't have cell service so you know, things happen like I like I just talked about, like I was an idiot. I did something stupid. I I knew better um, than to do what I did, but I was dumb and still did it anyways. But, you know, we all get into situations that, you know, are a bit sketchy sometimes. And you need to have the mental awareness and ability to know what your best chances are for survival and what you need to do to make sure you stay alive if something happens like you could it doesn't even have to be super serious like you could break your ankle you could twist your ankle when you're five miles back with no cell service what are you going to do did you tell someone where you're going to be uh does anybody else in your hunting party know where you are when they expect you back you know things like that so it could be as simple as twisting your ankle and you got to figure out how to get yourself back or get in contact with someone who can help you get back. So a basic understanding of first aid and survival survival skills and being in decent shape are, are really the two biggest things. And also land navigation. Know how to read a paper map, know how to use a compass because technology fails. If you don't have cell service, your GPS batteries die, you don't have backups, your phone falls in a puddle or in a lake or in the water or in a stream or something, know how to use a paper map 
find your know how to find yourself on a paper map and be able to use a compass and orientate yourself to where you need to go to get back to your vehicle or your campsite or whatever. Those are the three biggest things that I would truly take some time and learn, take some classes, go to the American Red Cross first aid, CPR. They even have a wilderness survival class. Go to those classes, get those certifications, teach yourself how to use a paper map, uh, teach yourself how to use a compass and get yourself in decent shape. And the, you, you have those three things and you automatically increase your chances above, I'd say 60% of the people that go out there that don't know that stuff. Right. Yeah, I 100% agree. Uh, one of the other things I wanted to ask you was, what is a realistic depiction of uh, a mule deer buck out there? So I, basically what I'm getting at is I think a lot of people, when they first make their, their first trip out west, they have these unrealistic expectations of the animals that they're going to kill or even just oh, the yeah. animals that they're going to find out in the wilderness, uh, yeah. out, in, out in the public lands. Can you kind of talk on that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a good question. Um, I would say it's not, it's not impossible to find a giant buck. I would say for all the times we've been out there, one of us has the opportunity to shoot a really, really big mule deer on public land, but we're also, we're also hunting way far back in there where nobody goes. Your average your average size mule deer. And honestly, if it was my first time out there, look for, look for any buck that has a Y and, you know, just to help get you the experience as you progress, you could start going after the bigger animals that are harder to find. But, uh, you know, three by threes, three points, three points on each side, you know, one set of Y's, um, you know, 15, 16 inches wide, maybe the same height is, is probably your average slash smaller buck. And then, you know, there, there are quite a bit of bigger four by fours and five by fives running around. Um, they're not out of the question. I mean, we always at least get one or two decent size for four by fours. And then, you know, you get into the, the really nice, big wise really tall racks um you know you we might get one of those we we might not um but uh you know the the super the super giants that you like see out in colorado and arizona where it takes like 10 points to draw a mule deer tag out there you're it's it's far and few between on the on the public lands in these areas but you know a decent size, you know, 15, 16 inch wide three by three is, you know, not a bad buck in my opinion for, you know, a, a do yourself public land hunt for the first time. I wouldn't, I wouldn't pass anything up like that. Gotcha. Okay. All right, Brian. So how can the audience, how can the listeners get a hold of you if they have any questions on Western hunting, they want to talk uh, mule deer, they would just want to bounce gear or whatever kind of questions off you. How do they get in contact with you? Yeah, yeah, great question. I'm I'm open to have conversations with anybody from from gear to hunting tactics to whatever. So 
Um, my Instagram is at B Halchak, B H A L C H A K. Uh, email is brian.halchak at gmail.com. You could search me on the uh, on the new Serviceide app or um, through the Serviceide Hunt Club uh, through the Facebook page. So happy to happy to answer any questions and, and help anybody out who who wants to make that leap and and go out for meal deer for the first time or even people who've been out there who've been struggling. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of things that we could talk about to help make someone better. Awesome. All right. And I'll make sure I have the show notes, uh, in the podcast description. Thank you so much, Brian, for hopping on. Uh, we're going to have to do, uh, another one here soon about, uh, your PA buck. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was good too. It's been a really great year. Got the mule deer, got the white tail buck and gosh, we're probably at 40 some pheasants so far this season with the, with the bird dogs. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's been a been really great year. I appreciate you for having me on again. Um, I need to need to hop back on some more now that now that I'm tagged out. I, I have plenty of time to talk mm-hmm. with you some more on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he, the problem is I'm still chasing him, so hopefully I get tagged <laughs> out here soon, and then and then it'll be a non-issue. Heck yeah! All right, buddy. I'll catch you later. All right, appreciate it.